Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the JDA Football Podcast. Now, upcoming this week, we've got Chelsea beat rivals Spurs 2-0 with Hakim Ziyech being the outstanding player. Dusan Vlahovic looks to be on his way to Juventus for 63 million. Thomas Frank signs a new deal with Brentford that keeps him at the Bees until 2025. And we will give our thoughts on the Africa Cup of Nations so far. All of that and much more to come on this episode. But Alex, no Joe, unfortunately, this week. He's at graft at work. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. A lot, uh, a lot to go through this week, but it, sh- it should be a fun one. Yeah, you're not at the Everton fan protest that I saw you were posting. No, nah, I was going to, but uh, it might get, might get a bit violent, so right. I think I'll stay away from that for a bit. Yeah, of course. We saw what happened with the Super League, so do you reckon something will happen similar? Or... Um, I can't see something happening straight away, but hopefully it'll have some some effect, really. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll get on that a bit later if you want. Yeah. Let's go into the first game. Southampton versus Manchester City. Southampton managed to end City's uh, unbeaten run of 12 games. It was a big draw in the end for Southampton and City. You could say they've dropped two points, but then again, they are leading the league by, what is it, nine points now. So they have got a bit of a gap between them and Liverpool in second. Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a disappointing result for them, considering they've won so many matches on the bounce. Um, they probably deserve to win uh, with their their form throughout the game. They had a, quite a lot more shots than Southampton, but I think we have to put some respect to Southampton. They were defensively solid throughout most of the game. Um, Sterling did miss a sitter, though, to be fair, and you could argue that they did probably deserve the three points over the full 90, but... I mean, Southampton defended really well, and I think it was Salisu uh, at centre back. Oh yeah, probably got man of the match uh, for me. And then uh, I thought they were a bit unlucky to to concede the Laporte goal. And then on another day, I think Southampton could have walked away with with all three points. Yeah, that um, Salisu. I think he got first in all of his rankings, didn't he? Um, of yeah. defended anyway throughout the whole of the two teams. And then that I, th- I don't know if you alluded to it there that Broya goal, Broja goal. Sorry. Um, that was disallowed. That changes the whole game with 2-0 because Southampton had more of a cushion to go and sit back. Uh, but yeah, like, like you were saying, that one goal, it just made Manchester City creep in and they got that goal in the end. It was wave after wave of attack and I thought De Bruyne was especially going to score. He had two critical chances, I thought. One where he hit the post from about 20 yards out, just outside the box. And then another one from around the same range, but he sort of, it went adrift sort of of the post and he sort of dragged the shot. Drecken, he didn't have his best game, but City had wave after wave, so they were creating chances with 70% in possession in the end. Yeah, I mean, on another day, like as you said, uh, with the Brogia goal being disallowed, very a very narrow offside, it could have been a result either way and I don't think anyone would have complained. But for Southampton, I think you you don't really want to be sitting back behind the ball for for that long against the City team with this amount of quality and with players like Kevin De Bruyne even, even if he hasn't having his best game he can he can still pop up here and there with a goal or an assist so yeah I think overall it's probably the, the right result Going to the next game Liverpool beat Crystal Palace 3-1 first 35 minutes Liverpool were completely dominant Virgil van Dijk sort of created that I don't want to say I don't know that first goal it sort of felt like the dominance was leading up to a goal. And the goal came from Van Dijk in the end, a great, powerful header. Liverpool were so good for that first 35 minutes. But then they went from a title-winning team that they were looking like in the first half 
to the second half, they didn't look anywhere near it, did they? Palace absolutely dominated them. Yeah, I think um, over over the full 90 minutes, as you said, uh, because of the first 45 minutes, Liverpool probably did deserve to win the game. But as we've seen a lot of times, pretty much under the Klopp era, really, they're very, very inconsistent. They have good matches and, and not very good matches. And here we start a mix between both. Uh, first half, they definitely deserved to, to win the game overall. But second half, I think they were they're quite lucky to only concede one. And then obviously with the, the penalty, which I think we're going to talk about in a minute, uh, it pretty much killed off Palace after what I thought was a very, very good second half. Yeah, and just before we come on to the penalty, Palace did have the chances to bury the game. Michael Elise had that great chance where he chipped Allison, and it was a great save in the end. But if that goes in, it's two all in the end, isn't it? Uh, up until the last 10, 20 minutes or so. So do you reckon Palace, if that goal went in, do you reckon they could have got something out of the games because the fans were definitely up for it at Salahs Park? Definitely, yeah. I think um, with all the chances they, they had, as you said, they could have easily got an equaliser on another day. And I think Allison made quite a, quite a lot of good saves. Um, and then if they had got the equaliser, I'd put my money on them going to, to score the winner considering how uh, not awful Liverpool were in the second half, but they didn't really show much quality going forward. And then they were getting up, uh, opened up quite a bit too often as well. So I would have put my money on um, uh, Palace winning that if they'd have scored an equaliser as well. I can see what you mean when they were opened up as well. It seemed that Trent and Robertson were creating the backline press so high that it almost created Van Dijk and Matip to drop. And then the spaces between the fullback and the centre-back started to become relevant. And I don't think that's just been in that game today. I think it's been sort of like the majority of the season. And don't get me wrong, Matip and Van Dijk have been great. But you can just sort of see the lack of communication between the fullbacks and the centre-halves. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like they've had it pretty much too easy for, for the last one or two seasons. Like they've just been playing it around in the in the edge of their opponent's half and not really uh, having any team press them that much because it, it gets a bit tiring. But as soon as Patrick Vieira put, uh, I think it was Mateta and Edouard on, two strikers pressing the two centre-backs, it became very easy for them to, to find space. And we saw that with the, with the goal and they could have got one or two more as well. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure if Mateta did start the game because do you remember that chance in the first half where he hit the post? Um, yeah. and No, sorry, Matip uh, got it off the line. There was that chance and I get another chance for Palace, wasn't it? And you're just thinking, yeah. especially yeah, against... On, Liverpool. on another day. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say it. Uh, it literally, if those if that goal goes in, Matip and Van Dijk are probably thinking, right, we've got a bit of a game on our hands there. And they did in the end, but yeah, we'll go into the penalty now. Liverpool's third goal via penalty. Is this one of the worst decisions, like Mike Richards has said? One of the worst decisions we've seen by VAR. It's not, I'd, I'd say it's not as bad as some of the offside calls. I mean, um, the offside that comes to mind is, is Mane versus, versus us in the derby. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think those calls that, say it's offside are probably worse but in terms of like giving penalties for, for things I think this is probably one of the worst yeah um, I, I can't really see a reason why he's given a penalty there's no real foul on Jota there's nothing the, the keeper can really do to get out of the way so I don't really don't really <laughs> see why it was given a penalty yeah I think Jota's done it very very well there he's come with the ball 
Joe Ward, I, was, I had to double check it about four times to think if Joe Ward's pushed him. It doesn't look like he has. But Jota can see the balls going away from him. And I don't know if you saw it, but he took a step to the right and that put his momentum going into Guaita. And it was very cleverly done by uh, Jota. Guaita almost feels like he's not fouled him. He's made contact. And I think that's where we have to make everything sort of specialised to say they did make contact, but if contact gets made, doesn't mean it's instantly a foul. I think that's one of the main things with it, like being in the penalty box. Uh, I don't think Guaita really moved for about two seconds and then um, and then Jota ran into him and he'd given a penalty. But if you think about it, like if a player's just stood in the middle of the pitch, if Jota had run into them, I don't think he would have given a free kick. But the fact that it's in a penalty box, I think that is one of the, the main factors why the referee did give a, give a penalty. Yeah. We'll move on to the next game, and it was Watford, which proved to be uh, Claudio Ranieri's last game. They lost 3-0 in the end. Josh Sargent probably scoring, uh, I would say, one of the goal of the month, maybe not goal of the season, but it was very well taken. Do you reckon, do you reckon he meant to do it? Um, I think he'll probably say he did, um, and I'd probably agree with him to an extent, like you have to get your foot on the ball some way and he's just probably tried to direct it in somewhat like in the um in the direction of the goal and, and luckily it's just gone in off the crossbar. Yeah and what did you think about the game overall? Because Norwich, I mean they're both sort of fighting for relegation. You think that Watford, especially at home, could get a bit of more motivation behind them. But in the end it just seemed like Norwich were just too better for them in that whole game really. Yeah, I think a lot of credit needs to to go to Norwich as well. Uh, their attacking play against against Everton and Watford in their last two games has been uh, far better than what I've seen for them all season. Um, in terms of like in their in their last six games before that, I think they played six games, lost all six, and didn't score a goal. So something definitely needed to happen. And and Dean Smith's obviously made those decisions, and and suddenly they're attacking very well. But in terms of Watford, like they, I think they made a few signings as well they've they've signed a left back and uh, a midfielder as well um and in the two games or three games that they've played I've not really seen a difference in Watford especially defensively and I think that was really highlighted against Norwich they just found it way too easy to to break uh, and counter against uh, Norwich's no, against Watford's high defense and then from there they had uh, no real choice but to to just track back yeah and Actually, we'll, we'll go on to the Claudia Ranieri situation one second. Let me just get my camera up. Spotify listeners, you're getting secret um, intel here, really. It's going to come out on YouTube, hopefully. I've sort of revolutionised the game. I saw it on uh, somebody else's YouTube channel. So my camera quality is going to be very good. Uh, and I'll try and get Alex's good as well. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put it in 1080p because what quality is yours, do you reckon, Alex? I don't know. Not very high. I think... Um... I'm recording from my laptop, so I think... Well, well, we all know what uh, last time happened when he used this camera. Um, it crashed in school, um, so hopefully ah. it doesn't do the same. All right, we're recording. So, Claudio Ranieri, not the best of regimes that he's been in charge, to, in charge of. Um, what do you think about it in total? Because this is Watford. We're moving into Watford's sixth manager in four years now, I believe, or five years. It's not a great record to have, is it? 
Yeah, I think it, it really shows something about uh, behind the scenes at Watford. They're not really making the, the right decisions. I thought a lot of us were questioning why uh, Cisco Munoz was, was sacked in the first place. I thought they were going quite well. And I think since then, I think they've gained about three or four points. Uh, it might be about six, actually, because I think Ranieri played, was it 12 games and won two of them? I think it might have been 13 games and seven points. Yeah, I mean, for, for a Premier League manager nowadays, I think that's that's not really good enough. It's, it started off terribly with a 5-0 thrashing against Liverpool. And then, um, yeah, I mean, they only won two games since then and it was 5-2 against Everton at Goodison and then 4-1 against Man United at, at Vicarage Road. So, I mean, they're not the two of the worst wins, but... All of the other performances, I don't think, were, were enough to keep his job. And I think, he, although he probably didn't have enough time, I think it was about the right time for them to sack him. Because if they didn't sack him, I'm pretty sure they would have been on their way down. We know Watford are under the ownership of the Potts um, family or business ownership. They've had a long, like they've had a long, like list of managers, and. They obviously went down the other season and that would have woken them up sort of. of uh, they need to wake up and think of new ideas. And that's why they bought Cisco Munoz in because they thought more attacking football. But I didn't think that they had full trust with him. I think they knew that he, he could get them up to the Premier League, but it was the stability factor and the way that they thought he was playing with attacking football. I don't think that sort of suited Watford and the hierarchy really. I think... The way that Watford wants to look at it as we want to stay in the Premier League, get the TV rights deal money, and we want to keep it defensive so we can get as many points and break away on the attacks. And we've seen that with Emmanuel Dennis. But it just seems we've seen teams like Leeds, and I know they're quite further down the table this year, but they're at least going for it and making the fans want to chat like champ for something. Yeah, I mean, I, I think going into the Premier League season, not much was, was on the side of Cisco Munoz. Uh, I know he played attacking football in the, in the Championship, but you see a lot of teams like Norwich's under Daniel Farker. When he first came uh, into the Premier League, he tried to play attacking football. And because he didn't have the quality in the squad, it really, really didn't work. Uh, and I think that's one of the main reasons that uh, Munoz didn't succeed. And also, he wasn't given much financial backing. They, they signed quite a few people on a free. I know this answer Soko for, I think it was about 8 million, 10 million. Yeah, it was a good deal, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think, although these are good signings, they're not really the signings that were probably going to keep an attacking manager in the Premier League with a, a defence as shaky as that. With Watford, and we'll go on to Roy Hodgson in just a minute, the structure that they've got with the transfers, don't get me wrong, it's absolutely incredible. We've seen with Richarlison, they brought him in for next to nothing, really, and then made forty million out of him going to Yobel Everton. Emmanuel Dennis, you could say that he could be like another Richarlison going in the same suit, and I can see it from the financial point of view, trying to get the best next upcoming talent and sell them on. But sometimes I think, don't you want to keep your valuable assets to increase to go up the table? Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of Premier League teams need to, to find a balance with at the moment. Uh, you see a lot of championship teams and a lot of championship fans really complaining about the, their clubs selling their younger players to make a profit when realistically they should be keeping them to, to try and get into the Premier League. 
I think that's something that Watford haven't managed to balance yet. Uh, I know you mentioned uh, Emmanuel Dennis as well, but João Pedro is another one. I think he could really be off in the in the summer if if Watford don't stay in the Premier League. And I, I really feel sorry for them if they if they have to get rid of some of their very young, very desirable players. On to the next man who comes into the Watford job, Roy Hodgson, 74 years old. It's going to be a tough test for him. Five years out of the managerial game uh, and in the Premier League, five years. It's going to be tough because five years is a long time out of the game. And obviously things have moved on since Pep Guardiola is not playing uh, a solid striker. That's one, for instance, that I can think of the top of my head. It's changed quite a lot. And do you reckon Roy will be able to cope with the changes? I I have confidence in him. Obviously, it didn't work very well at England. But then when he went to Palace, I think he steadied the ship very well. He kept them in the Premier League when I don't think many managers would have. And although he didn't have much financial backing, he made uh, not a very good team in the Premier League look like a a stable one. So I'm going to be backing him, really. Uh, I think Watford under him have a very strong chance of staying up. But you look at the teams around them now, Newcastle are investing and uh, Norwich have just gone into a a good run of form. So it's going to be hard for him, as you said, but I have full confidence in him. We've done the highlight. Oh, my camera didn't even turn off either. That's well good. All right, okay. So that's that's going to come out. You Spotify viewers, your listeners, you're lucky. Um, all right, I'll just turn that off. How do I turn this off now? Classic podcast format. <laughs> Keeping it rare. Or raw, should I say. We'll go on to the next game, though. Chelsea versus Tottenham. Did a, I've not mentioned this game. Uh, I just want to double check. I, the camera and everything's gone to my head. I've not done, I've not, we've not done this game yet, have we? No. No, God, God, God. All right, so Chelsea beat Tottenham 2-0 in one of many London derbies. Uh, goals coming from Hakim Ziyech, a brilliant, exquisite goal that went in the top corner. He couldn't get more in the corner, to be honest. And then Thiago Silva with a third-time lucky header, let's just say, after his two chances in the first half, five at pieces. Chelsea always looked like the dominant team in this game. I don't know about you, Alex. Yeah, I think you could almost tell, really, that uh, Chelsea were the more developed team. They've obviously been in uh, European competitions with the same squad for, for a long amount of time than than Tottenham had. Obviously, they didn't really play terribly Tottenham. Um, but in terms of Chelsea's tactics overall and the amount of quality they had in a squad, I think it really pushed them through to for this one. And I think it's a, a game that during like the, the older years of Chelsea, like three or four years ago, I probably wouldn't have seen them win. Uh, because yeah. I thought Tottenham played half decently, but with the amount of defensive quality they have and, and now progressing attacking quality as well, I think they, they definitely deserve the win. I think with Spurs, I don't know about you, but I thought they had four four fullbacks on the pitch. Ben Davis, Ryan Sessegnon. Uh, they also had... Um, who did they have on the right-hand side? Matt Doherty. And who else was there? Those. Tanganga. Tanganga, yeah, sorry. But Tanganga sort of can play as a centre back. So I'll I'll say th- I'll say three full backs. Could you see the way that he sort of went to a back five and defensively Conte? And you thought, I can sort of keep my quick full backs on Mason Mount and Ziek. So to sort of man mark them and leave Davinson Sanchez with Kane. 
Did it sort of play against him though? Because Chelsea is so quick and physical at the same time. Yeah, I can I can kind of see what what he was going for as you said there. But I feel like they're they're very raw tactics. You can tell that he's probably not been managing this team in the in the Premier League very um, for long, Antonio Conte. And I think you could tell that throughout the game. Uh, as you said, I think them man marking the uh, the wingers with the fullbacks, it kind of isolated Bergwijn and and Kane up front a bit, and then the transition from from Winks and Hoybier in the midfield. I don't think either of them are, are really you describe as attacking midfielders. So I think it became really hard for for the strikers to uh, to flourish. Yeah, and one thing that I don't get is Conte's been playing the system all the way through. Really, um, I don't. I think this was his first defeat, actually, wasn't it? Uh, other than the uh, League Cup, of course. Might be, yeah. Um, and he's, I think, nine games unbeaten. I think it was or eight games. They they've lost. Is that true? Yeah, they've lost to Chelsea three times since January the fifth. Wow, well, that's a, that's a pretty impressive start. That the, January the fifth. Oh yeah, of course. Wow. Um, well, I think it's the first Premier League loss. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was about nine nine games uh, in a row unbeaten, and for him to play the same system throughout all those games, starting three at the back. And he went to a sort of four-four-two, and it was probably interchangeable in the game. But it sort of thought that he was playing to stop Chelsea rather than to try and play his game. And I think the previous managers, previous eight managers of Chelsea, haven't managed to come back to Chelsea and beat uh, Chelsea. That was very complicated. But if you followed it very well, done following yeah. it, it it's always been hard for them. And I don't get why Conte changed his game for Chelsea's. Um, I think it has to pretty much go down to to the level of team that he's playing. Obviously, he can play whatever formation you want really against a team like Leicester that they they did on the weekend, and they got I think they got a bit lucky uh, during the the later stages of the game. But I think he probably would have looked at the at the Chelsea squad currently and and looked at the two defeat, defeats he had um, at, at the beginning of the month. And yeah. thought maybe I can slightly adapt my formation to to suit playing against them. And obviously, Chelsea, with the amount of quality they have, exploited that and, and got the win. Transfer news now. We'll start off with Usman Dembele, who has been told by Barcelona that he will be sold this month after he refused to sign a new contract at the new camp. A lot of clubs will be in for him, I'm sure, Alex, but it's not a very good situation that Xavi and Barca want. No, um, I think he's one of the most, uh, on his day, especially skillful players it, pretty much in the world. We saw it at Borussia Dortmund a lot. And um, I think it's, it's considering where Barca at the moment, I don't think they can afford to, to lose players like Usman Dembele. Um, I think he's one of the players like Franca de Jong, uh, who can really push them forward? And yeah, as you said, they won't get a, they won't get another winger with as much quality as him for for less than about sixty seventy million, which at the moment they don't really want to spend. Yeah, and with this deal, I think the only positive that try Bass will try and get out of is is that they can free up some more space and wages to bring in Alvaro Morata, who of course Xavi we know wants him. Is that the way to go? 
because I know Barca are in a very like sticky situation, but is that the way to go? Sell a player, bring a player in, or would you rather sell a player, get a bit more money in from the revenue and profits, and then go and get someone for a bit more money? Um, in terms of where Barcelona are at at the moment, they're trying to rebuild, so I think it's the the right way to go about it. But if you really look at what they're swapping, like a I think he's 24 now, is Mandembele. And they're trying to bring in Alvaro Morata, who I think is about 28, 29. Yeah. So in terms of the in terms of the the long term, like uh if you want to say revenue for, for Barcelona, I don't think it's a very good deal at all. But um yeah. Um where do you reckon he'll go? That's my next question. Um I've I've seen him linked to to Newcastle, but uh, I don't really see that happening. Um, maybe it's back to Dortmund. One. You never know. Yeah, maybe. I think it's his wages as well. Is he going to take a pay cut? Is that going to be a vital sort of? I, th- I think he'll have to because he's not going to attract any big teams with the amount of wages he's on at the moment. No, definitely. Yeah, and especially his recent form. It's. It may be a bit good, his performances. Stats won't back it up for him, unfortunately. But it's hard to try and get a reason why someone would want to sign him because he's had his injuries. Do you want to get an injury-prone player in your team? It's it's debating all those type of situations. We'll go on to the next piece of transfer news. Manchester City are in talks to sign striker Julian Alvarez from River Plate. He's played 35 games, got 20 goals and 12 assists in 96 appearances for the Argentinian side. I don't know I had a great deal about him, I'll be honest, but how much do you know about him, Alex, that you can tell us, and is he worth the money? Um, as well, I can't really uh, <laughs> mention on I've heard a lot of hype around him, obviously, uh, a younger striker who, obviously, with the amount of games he's played and the amount of goals he's scored, is, is a goal scorer. And uh, if he turns out anything like Aguero, then I think it'll be a very good deal. Well, that is what they're saying, aren't they? They're saying he is the next Aguero. 15 to 17 million. I know United were um, meant to be looking around to pay for his release clause, 86 million. And I don't think anyone's going to play or take a risk about that. Um, so I think City, if they got him, if it didn't quite work out, would they look back on it and think it was worth a shot? It was only a 17 million. Um, I mean, it really depends how he develops. Obviously, it's going to take him a while to to develop in the in the Premier League. I think he's continuing on loan at River Plate for for this season, so we'll have to see how that goes. But um, in terms of Man City's recruitment so far, I don't think they've done much wrong. So I, I can see this going quite well for them. Yeah, Aston Villa in talks with a Juventus midfielder, aren't they, Alex? Yeah. Um, is it Benton Core? I don't know how you pronounce it. I think it could be a, a very good deal for them in Steven Gerrard's midfield. I think he wants a bit of uh, a, a real staple in that midfield. And I think someone like Benton Core, who, who has Champions League experience, which is where Villa are aiming for, could be a, a very good deal. And for only 16 million in the in the current market, it's a very, very good deal. Yeah, and competing for places with Douglas Louise, of course. And that's what sort of takes Villa, I think, one of the key factors to the next level. I think we spoke about it last week. Getting depth in the squad to go and play in a range of cup competitions is vital for a key win inside. 
I think with Villa going to do that and bringing, like you said, the experience of Benton Kerr, who I'm sure's featured in a couple of Champions League quarter and semi-finals, even not the final in the 2015, but I think he might have been a bit too young at the time. Even that in itself, it's great experience to bring into that dressing room that's got experience with Coutinho, but it's more to add on to that and I'm sure Gerard will appreciate him coming in. We'll go on to the next piece of transfer news. The biggest out of them all, you could say. Juventus have agreed a 62.8 million deal with Fiorentina for Dusan Vlahovic. The Serbian striker was targeted by Arsenal, but it looks like he is going to the Italian club. Alex, it's been a long week, couple of weeks for Arsenal fans because they were thinking this is going to be the next big thing that makes them solidify that fourth place spot by getting more goals and being more advanced up front but it's just fallen short hasn't it yeah I mean um, it would have been a very good deal as you said for them 62 million for, for such a young quality striker at the moment it's a very very good deal but in, in terms of Juventus I think it's a, a very important one for them to to regain superiority in the in the um, Italian league especially with Inter going so well at the moment and then sort of dropping off. Um, and as well, I think he could be a, a very good striker in himself. He's got a lot of goals for Fiorentina he has this season and last season. Um, I'm pretty sure he was close to breaking Ronaldo's record for a, a single year of goals. So, yeah, could be a very exciting one for, for Juventus. And he, he's very young, a lot of development left in, in him as well. Yeah, I believe Ronaldo last season in Serie A got around 25 to 30 goals. And I think, is he on about 19, I want to say 21 goals? It's around, I think it's around that mark at the moment. Yeah. So he is on target, like you say, to break it. I just think with Vlahovic, he's just, he's not quite like Haaland. We're not going to have another Haaland, uh, maybe in the future, you never know. But he's sort of got that mould of being able to hold it up and be also quick on the attack. And not many strikers can do that. We've seen Ibra sort of do it in the past, maybe not as quick as Vlahovic or Haaland. But it's that type of play that you want in your team to add a little bit something different and create a bit of different chances and even lob it into the box sometimes because I think he's around six foot two, isn't he? So he's quite a big lad. Yeah, he's he's a natural goal scorer, and I think that's one thing that Juventus have been missing since they they uh, lost Ronaldo. Uh, and with so many quality players around him like Paolo Dybala, who I'm not sure if he'll leave by the end of the season, yeah. but. I think they'll definitely have him for the rest of this season. Uh, I just hope he can keep bagging some more goals. Yeah, also just off the top of my head, is uh, injured, isn't he? For Everton. So that's going to be a key signing if Lahovic comes in to add a bit more depth in the attack in front. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yeah, for Italy, I was just going to say uh, he was such an important player in the Euros. And I think... Uh, that is a, a big miss for them. So I think that's another reason that him coming in will will definitely benefit them going forward. How much did Juve pay for Chiesa in the end? Was it around? I think it was 30, 40 million. Yeah, I was well, that's say, a, yeah. another player they've got from Fiorentina for, for oh, a yeah. decent amount of money as well. Exactly. Maybe should everyone should look at the Fiorentina players um, like yeah. in the past. Do you remember uh, Giuseppe Rossi? I think yeah. was his name. Yeah, former United Academy player. Um, created some great plays in the past uh, Fiorentina and may that continue we'll go into some women's transfer news now 
quite a big deal that's gone on from an experienced player that's gone to Aston Villa, Alex. Yeah, Jill Scott. I think she she was on loan at Everton last season. Uh, did very well in in the midfield, and I think Aston Villa they're, they're investing a lot into the women's team. They're going very well this season. I think this could uh, stable them up quite a bit. Yeah, of course, she'll add that physicality and height into the midfield. I don't think there's many female footballers like Jill Scott that have got that extreme height um, that sort of sets them apart from the rest of the midfielders in the league. Sort of Aston Villa currently sitting ninth. So it's sort of quite a big effort in to keep them defensively wise. And also she can play the pass as well. That's one of the main things that I think Villa will look at. Yeah, I mean, she she's played for England as well. She's played, uh, obviously, for Man City. She's coming on loan and, and Everton as well. So she has plenty of experience. And I think um, with the, the young team Villa have got, with all the investment they put in, I think this could really benefit them. We'll come on to Manchester United transfer news. We'll leave that until the end. Uh, and we'll go to the Brazilian, Bruno Guimaraes. Is that how you pronounce it, I think? Yes. Guimaraes. Uh, Looks like he's going to sign from Leon in the region of 30 million to Newcastle United. Now, we know that they were always going to do business in this transfer market. We'll come on to Diego Carlos. I wanted to just discuss that in a minute. But the first Brazilian with Bruno Guimaraes, a very, very good midfielder, and he's impressed big time at Leon. Yeah, I think this is definitely more of the sort of signing that um, Newcastle need to be going for. I thought, I, I think they've been linked to to Dan Byrne for about 10 million, which I think is not a very good piece of business. And obviously Chris Wood at the start of the window for, for about 25. Um, but getting a young, experienced central midfielder in, I think is the, the perfect signing for them. They've got uh, obviously John Joe Shelby, who had a good game against Villa, but he's not the long-term solution. Uh, and going into this second half of the season where they really need to battle, I think getting in a, a centre midfielder with, with this much experience and this much pace and, and like ability is just going to really benefit them. Most likely. And Diego Carlos, 45 million, it seems severe are asking for him. If Newcastle get him, because they were meant to be in for that uh, Botman from Villa, uh, from Leo, weren't they? So it doesn't look like that deal's going ahead. Diego Carlos, though, would be a very good sign and he's increasingly coming up into the Brazilian national team. He looks like a very good player with Sevilla there, currently sitting around second, third in La Liga. It's a perfect signing for Newcastle in their case, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think this is, again, sort of the player that uh, they need to be going for. Obviously, they've got Jamal Lascelles and uh, Emil Kraft, I think his name is. But I think going forward, especially this season, and going forward for to where they want to be with all the investment, I think these sorts of players need to need to be coming in and then they can build a squad around them. We'll go on to the Wolves forward that was on loan from Leipzig but has been made on a permanent deal. Juan Ki Chan, another great Asian player that's come over to the Premier League, played 14 Premier League games for uh, Wolves this season. He's impressed that much he's got a permanent deal and I think... The other top clubs are sort of missing out on this deal, I think. I don't know about you, Alex, but I think he's got so much to his game. He can play striker, wing. He can play in the eight as well, as well as the 10. He's got a variety of positions that he can play and he always seems to be affecting the play on pitch, on the pitch. Yeah, I think it's a lot. It's a signing that um, 
well, not really a signing, a player that a lot of teams didn't really expect to go well. Uh, personally, I was one of them as well. I think when he signed for for Leipzig from Salzburg, he didn't really have the, the takeoff that everyone thought. Um, obviously, with all the expectation of players like Haaland and uh, other players like that coming from Salzburg uh, into Germany and places like that, you really expect them to, to just fit right in right there, right then. Um, but then the, the low move to, to Wolves really reignited his career. And obviously with the attacking play that um, Wolves have got at the moment, it really suited him. And I think he adapted very, very well. I did think he did as well. We'll go on to a player in an opposite, opposite position, um, sort of position when I say not getting as much game time, we'll go to Donny van der Beek. Crystal Palace have meant to be interested in signing on a loan deal. United, I believe, are trying to get all the loan deals getting paid for by the club that are trying to loan the player out. So in this case, Crystal Palace will probably pay all of his uh, loan fees that happen. Eight games this season, one goal that came in the Watford defeat, I I think it was, uh, for van der Beek. It's not really worked out for him. We know that. And I think what's playing in his mind is now as well is he's got around 10, 11 months until the World Cup where the Netherlands will look to have a strong squad and Lou van Hals come out and said I'm not picking him unless he gets regular first team football so you can see it from van der Beek's side of things he needs to get first team football but he needs to accept to follow a loan request to go and play this first team football because we saw what happened with Newcastle if you don't accept it you're not going to play simple as yeah I think um with the uh, the end of last season coming, and then he was told he would get first team football. But with the um, with the quality that he's shown, it's not really been there for United. When he has played, I don't think he's offered much. Um, and then obviously he's not got first team football. And then he, I think, alone to Crystal Palace personally, I think is the perfect option. They've got really good attacking football under Vieira. I think even if he doesn't show like the full quality that that Palace want and then go and sign him. He's definitely going to go back to to Man United, a more progressive player, and hopefully even get a a chance in the first team there. But even if he doesn't, I think he'll he'll move somewhere else after that. And I think he'll be obviously very beneficial for for them and hopefully beneficial for United as well. Do you think it's good? Sorry, I was going to say, do you think Van der Beek is Premier League quality? And I only say this because... I know people have said, well, United and Ralph and Dolly needed to give him a full run of games to see what he could be. But when he's had his chance, he's not really seemed to take it. And to me, does that sort of bring up the situation of, is he good enough for the Premier League? And no doubt he probably will be, but is the run of games sort of not helping him? I think it is he's a sort of player that you need to really play him in a stuck position, like a, just a, a middle, like box-to-box central midfielder. But for United, he's kind of been all over the place, CDM, attacking midfield, and then kind of wide midfield as well. So I think it's been quite hard for him in that sense. And if he did go to Crystal Palace playing in that midfield three, where he'd just primarily be one of a, a number six that goes forward and back, but I think, that'll benefit him very much. And I think we'll, we'll start to see some qualities that, that we saw from him for Ajax, especially in the Champions League. But if if Man United and um, 
yeah, if Man United continue playing like the attacking midfielders or defensive midfielders, I don't think he has like quite the qualities to, to play in, in those types of positions. So you could argue that that means he's not Premier League quality, but if he was played in the right positions, I think we've seen enough of him to, to realise that he probably is Premier League quality for, for the right club, obviously. Yeah, I think I heard something from Ralph as well. He said, and this is probably just a rumour and it might not even be true, Van der Beek and training hasn't been physically good enough for Ralph's sort of terms and the way he wants to defend and attack. Is that because his fitness isn't up to schedule? But then you could say, well, he's a professional footballer, his fitness is always going to have to be up to schedule for him to start a game. But do you think him coming from the era of Adizé to the Premier League, we know there's a golfing difference. We've seen it many of times with players. But you just think, can Van der Beek sort of, I don't know, because he doesn't seem to get pushed off the ball a lot. He just seems he's not either quick or in some cases he just gets sort of physically battled by players who are determined to get the ball more than he is. I, I don't know if this makes sense, but to me he looks like really like an, an Ajax player, if that makes sense. Like, well, like he looks like he's been moulded towards a style of play where they play in a league where they don't really need to defend. They've just got the ball for pretty much all of the game and he can just start spraying passes all over the pitch. That's how he looks to me. And that's how he looks uh, when when he's trying to play for Man United, which obviously isn't the style of play that you want to... Well, probably you aren't playing more than you don't want to be playing. Yeah, I completely see where you're coming from. I think if you put him in a passing team such as Manchester City, he would excel in that team. You could say maybe not as much as he could at Ajax because there is that physicality element, like you said. You're not really getting pressured as with as much physicality as you are in the Premier League. But then what got me was he also played in the Champions League as well. And I'm, saw, I'm sure some of the Spanish teams, like when they faced Real Madrid and Juventus, they would have been f- physically p- pretty sound as well. So I'm not too, I don't know what do you reckon because yeah. he's sort of experienced two sides. But then you can say he's played 30-odd games in Eredivisie, So he's got more used to that than the Champions League football. And he's maybe not being asked as much as he is to do at Manchester United it's definitely a hard one. I think it's um, a deal that a lot of people, even excluding Man United fans, were, were excited for. He's a very young player coming from the Eredivisie. And as you said, he's not really shown much of the quality that you thought you were bringing in. Uh, and I don't really see where that's that's gone, really. Like, as you said, he showed it in the Champions League, not just the, the Eredivisie. And we've not really seen it anywhere else. Let's go on to a man who's looked for first-team football and got got it from Manchester United. Anthony Martial has com- fish, officially completed his loan move to Sevilla. The 26-year-old joins the Liga side who will pay his full wages uh, in the loan. There's got to be no uh, loan fee involved. It's just going to be his wages until the end of the season. From the outside looking in, Alex, it's... Probably a good deal for Martial. Um, I presume you would think that because he's not managed to get as much first-team football as he would have hoped for um, so far at United. And this probably indicates for him to try and get into the French national squad as well, like Van der Beek was trying to get into the Dutch national squad. This is a perfect opportunity because we spoke about Diego Carlos before and how well Sevilla are doing. 
and for Hidden to go into that team and play a variety of positions across that front three. That's going to make them a dangerous team in La Liga, but also in Europe. Yeah, um, I think Martial on his day, as we've seen, even at some points this season, he's still a very, very good player. And although I don't think he'll be missed in the Man United squad that much, considering the, the style of play that Rangnick plays at the moment, I think in terms of his own career, uh, a lone move to, to somewhere like Sevilla, who are still battling in La Liga, is a very good move. Going to some managerial news, Thomas Frank and his, assi- and his assistant, uh, Brian Reamer, signed new deals at Brentford until 2025. Of course, he's been a staple mate really over there uh, in Brentford, hasn't he, since the start of Wayne, way when he came back in. And he's also created sort of the B team as well. Um, there's a whole, so many programs and YouTube videos you can watch about it. Also the Moneyball-esque as well, sort of around... Um, that way that Brentford have been run under him um, and the owners. I think this was always going to happen, wasn't it? I know they're sitting around 12th at the moment. For, for a newly promoted side, that's very, very good. And I also think the style of football that he plays also intrigues the fans. And those 16,000 fans that get behind them in Brentford Community Stadium, we've seen in the big nights this year against the top teams, just shows how much Thomas Frank means to this club. Yeah, I mean, coming in, we all really expected them to, to get relegated straight away. Um, I think they came in off the playoffs, didn't they? I think Aaron Tony. Yeah, against uh, Swansea, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, and considering how, how little they'd invested into their squad, no one really gave them pretty much any chance. They'd not really signed anyone uh, coming into the Premier League. And, and considering how, how well they've done to, to fit in 12th with, some really good uh, games, such as one that springs to mind is a three all with Liverpool. I think it's it's a, they're a, pl- a pleasure really to have in the in the Premier League this season. And of course, they won two 0 against the sort of depleted Arsenal side with injuries, but it was still a big uh, three points to get at the start of the season. I also yeah. think the way that Frank's sort of changed his game up. We know they played a classic four three three last year in the Championship, and now he sort of reverted it to the Premier League standards so he can sort of sit back in a five and then attack with a back three. And I think that's completely, I think Bielsa sort of done the same with Leeds. It's very, very well done. I think to go to a three, five, two just adds more bodies in midfield. And we spoke about physicality before Brentford are very physical. They're very good at getting to the ball quick, quicker than other players from top teams. And they are a tough team that you think this will be a really hard game when you come up against them. I know City have got them this weekend and that's a big game to watch out for, definitely. Four COVID postponements uh, are going to be needed for the Premier League games or have happened. What's your situation or stance on this whole postponement of games? Because I know certain clubs are doing it because they've got injuries. Do you think there's a point between injuries and COVID cases? That's probably the main point, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of um, things going around social media uh, recently were that the Premier League teams were kind of finding a little loophole in uh, what the Premier League have said. So I think, was it Leicester who got their, their game postponed and they didn't have any COVID cases, but or they might have had one. Oh, was it Le- Liverpool had that in the League Cup as well, didn't they? Yeah, and I think uh, Leicester had like five people at the, the African Cup of Nations and then some more injuries, so... Yeah, they're definitely starting to find loopholes in it. And I think this is a more progressive way of, of 
coming about it uh, from the Premier League. And I think it, it, although it probably will will still be able to find some loopholes in it, um, I think it's a yeah a more progressive stance. It's mad though because I was looking at the table before and I saw Burnley around 17, 18 games. And they're about four games behind Manchester City in first. And I know they're not going to catch up to them, but it's sort of mad how many games that have been missed out. And it's been a hectic schedule, but surely that's going to not come into play for Burnley very good because they're going to be playing teams who have played once at the weekend and not in midweek. Then Burnley are going to be playing twice in the week on some occasions, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, and most of it's not really been Burnley's fault. They've just yeah. had the games cancelled, and I think they had one COVID outbreak, and it it led to them missing one match. So, realistically, it hasn't really been Burnley's fault, but they have come off the worst because of it. So, some are definitely needed change, and then, uh, I think this is a step forward. Yeah. Also, congratulations to Ben Mee. I think he got his hundredth um, cap or appearance for Burnley, or, or his goal. It was something along those lines. So, yeah, congratulations to him, um, the captain, Erling Brit Holland. Big, big news. I mean, Alex hit us away with the stat. It's just incredible, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Um, he's got well. Pretty much only gets well, not only got I don't know what I'm trying to say 56 <laughs> goals in, in 57 Bundesliga games. Um, I, I mean, if we were taught if we were saying that about someone like Messi or Ronaldo, I think we would have gone, Oh, he's the best player in the world. But uh, when it comes to what Erling Harland, I, I don't think no one well, not no one's talking about him, but not enough people are talking about him. And seriously, like this kid is, is going to be special. No, yeah. He's going under the radar so much, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Go on. I, I was just going to say, it's, it might be down to the team he's playing for, obviously. Lewandowski's scoring all the time for Bayern Munich, but because it's only Borussia Dortmund, they don't really get any anything televised, and he's just constantly scoring for them, and it doesn't really seem to come up. But I think if he does eventually get a move away, maybe even to the Premier League, people are going to people are going to understand how good he is. I think he's the perfect mould to suit the Premier League. You think everything that he's got in him, intensity, strength, power, pace, he's going to be an absolute machine to come up against. And I still think, I mean, what team do you think he'll go to? Do you reckon he'll go to Manchester City if he does come to the Premier League? I, I don't really see him going to Manchester City, but as you said, if he's, if he's going to the Premier League, I don't see any team except maybe Chelsea who are going to be able to, to sign him. But as you said, he, he would be perfect for the Premier League. He'd just bully everyone that he came up against and he's just a natural goal scorer as well. I'm trying to think of another player that's been like him. And do you know like sort maybe, of that big... A young Lukaku. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is probably a good example, Better. actually. Uh, probably a bit more, I don't know, a bit more strong than a young Lukaku. Yeah. But... When we talk about young Lukaku, at the... he's, got, he's got he's developed. He, I'm pretty sure he's like 20 now, and he yeah. looks like he's yeah at the prime of his career. He looks like a, a bodybuilder, <laughs> but he's he's rapid as well, and he's just got everything going for him. Yeah, we're not talking about a uh, young Lukaku at West Brom. I don't think are we, or are we? No, 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 no. no, no. no. <laughs> um, so yeah, that'll be if he comes to the Premier League. That is going to be so good. I just don't. I hope his levels don't drop off. 
um, if he does come to the Premier League. But then again, if he's scoring 56 goals in 57 games, like we, you said before, if you could say with the Premier League, half that maybe, or maybe a bit less, because goals are going to be much harder to come by. And Ralph Ragnick said this in one of his press conferences. He said, if Burnley were in the Bundesliga, they would at least be in the top half of the table or top eight. And that just shows the gulf and difference between one of the best leagues in Europe, you could say second, third, fourth, compared to the Premier League. And that's that's a massive gulf and difference. That's why it is the best league in the world. I think I think you also told me you mentioned like um, how a team like Norwich sitting bottom of the table have still got a packed out stadium with that much atmosphere. I feel like the Premier League, it just breathes football like England in general. Yeah. But when you go to like Germany, say, they've got the, the top three or four teams and then every other team you have to properly support them or else you're not really going to build an atmosphere. So I think, yeah, as you said, Burnley would probably finish top half. Yeah, it must be something in the water that we drink here. I don't know, that makes us go crazy about it. Well, either way, I'm, it's, it's, it's really good. We're going to the Premier League fixtures. Actually, no, the FA Cup fixtures are first, aren't they? We'll go on to them. Some big games coming up this weekend. I don't know if you've uh, pre-checked, Alex. Um, we've got a Yorkshire derby, Huddersfield versus Barnsley. Uh, that's on Saturday at three. Another game on that day at the same time, Everton versus Brentford. Now, Alex, big dunks taken over. Um, quickly get your thoughts on his first game against Villa losing, but it'll be a tough game against Brentford. I think it w- we saw a dramatic improvement. I don't know if you watched the game, but I watched, think yeah. we, um, yeah, we we just showed a lot more intensity, a lot more desire to go forward. But you could tell he's only been managing for about a week. We didn't really have any style of play, anything like that. So, in terms of where the both teams were developing, I think Aston Villa had the advantage on that, and and obviously they just got the the one goal, and that was enough to to take them through. Um, to get all three points. So, I mean, they probably deserved it along the 90 minutes. I think we had more shots. And if we had had a manager in for two or three weeks, we'd have developed the style of play and everything like that. I think we, we probably could have got the win. But, um, yeah, you can't really blame it on Big Dunk. You'd only been there a week. so Yeah, uh, yeah like you say, you'd only been there a week. It's always going to be hard coming into that um, squad. Another big game that's coming up in the FA Cup, League 2 Hartlepool currently sitting 16th, travel to Premier League, Crystal Palace. That's going to be a tough game, but we know what the FA Cup's like, the magic of the cup. Uh, Cambridge United of League 1 take on Luton Town of the Championship. That's the tea time kickoff at Saturday at half five. Um, some of the big games, Tottenham, Brighton, Liverpool, Cardiff City. A big game for Nottingham Forest. They're looking to get promoted this season. They're sort of just outside the playoff places against Leicester City. Do you reckon they could cause another upset like they did against Arsenal in that 1-0 win? I do. I think they, they made a superb um, managerial appointment in Steve Cooper getting in from Swansea. Um, and then their attacking play and defensive play, really, as we saw against uh, Arsenal. It's just been superb. They've got a lot of good attacking players. I think Ziegler, who's on loan from Watford, and then um, Johnson on the on the right wing or the left wing. 
uh, who's been in the Wales squad as well. I think they've just got so much quality that they could really give Leicester a good go here. Yeah, and that was a game that I actually wanted to talk about, the East Midlands derby between Nottingham Forest and Derby County. Forest won 2-1 in the end. It was a great game, wasn't it? That's a proper derby, and you, you would normally think maybe tensions would get that high in the Premier League. And I know I've seen it in the Championship in the past. That's probably the lack of me watching the Championship, actually. It probably does happen. I just don't watch it. It was incredible scenes, wasn't it? I mean, well, the Ravel Morrison challenge that lit up the fire, that just created a whole sort of situation that was going on there. But the actual game itself, very end-to-end. And I know Forrest sort of struggled the first half, but it was a great game. Yeah, I think it was really ignited by uh, all the fans. I think Derby going through what they're going at the moment uh, with all uh, the FFP stuff and everything, it really ignited them and and how well um, Nottingham Forest are doing, especially they really ignited by that. And then obviously the the game as well. It was it was really a thrilling game, and it just was just I don't know. It's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think you'll really you'll really see a game like that in the in the Premier League with the amount of atmosphere. Yeah, and of course you went to a Forest game, didn't you? Uh, which game was it? Uh, it was a couple of months back, wasn't it? Yeah, but yeah, well, it was, I was mean, it a good atmosphere. Also, yeah, definitely. I think they could really be pushing to to go up as well. Um, I think they're sitting about eighth or ninth. Now. Yeah, around there. But th- they're the team that you sort of expect to be in the Premier League with such a fine history that they've got. You would think that is they need to get back into the Premier League. They're one of those clubs where you think they need to be a certified Premier League team. Yeah, and, and the amount of support they've got as well, I think it's it's, it's going to happen sooner or later. And with the, the young progressive squad they've got and, and Steve Cooper, um, just some amazing managerial skills as well. We saw with, with Swansea last season with the young squad as well. I think it's a, a very, very good appointment. Yeah, completely the opposite to what they were like under Chris Hewton sort of wait wait to get a goal and then maybe sit back a bit. I think that was sort of the way that they were playing. James Garner, Manchester United, Loney, I think he's doing very well at Nottingham Forest as well. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah. Um, that was... Um, Derby Cal- what did you say? Good Spence. Everton, is he? No, 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 no. no, no, no. He's on loan for, from Middlesbrough, but he's doing very, very well. I wanted him at Everton anyway. Oh, nice. Um... Derby County, I don't know if you saw, but their away end was getting chucked £5, £10 and £20 notes. I don't think it would have been £25, I think it was. I mean, (laughs) I would have been laughing, but um, obviously they're they're making reference to the um, the, the FFP stuff. Yeah, what do you think about that? I would have seen the funny side of it, but... Yeah, same. What what do you think about it, though? That FFP thing, just very quickly, because I know it's a big topic to cover. I think... Obviously, I'm I'm doing the EPQ in school about uh, Barry and all the all the stuff, but I don't think uh, the EFL are going by it like they're in the right way. They're really forcing Derby to to pay back some of the loans and stuff just by deducting them points and then finding them and everything. I think they should take a, a more central approach and just like encourage them to to do it rather than just make the fans suffer. So. Yeah, I, I'm not really standing by the AFL for that one. It is a it's it's a painful tough topic, especially for not just Derby fans but football in general, because it's like they're not looking after the clubs. And 
like you said before, you can't deduct points because no one in that team on match day, who team and coaching staff who go to that game, it's none of their fault. It's the hierarchy's fault. And even if, I know that your fellow trying to get people to come in and buy Derby, but even if someone came in, they're still going to have to buy the stadium off Mel Morris, aren't they? The previous yeah. owner, which is just crazy. Because you think if you buy the club, you buy all the assets. You don't buy different assets. And, yeah, it's just a joke, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot the EFL could could be doing, and I think they're all basically focusing on themselves, like getting the the money back that they owe and and everything, and they're not really helping the the fundamental factors of of what's going on, and that's really the fans and all the people affected by the club. Yeah, I just wanted to say while we're doing this sort of championship round, I just wanted to say big shout out to Blackburn. They look like they could be coming up this season. Um, yeah, I think yeah they've got a really got a squad that no one really expected to to be up there. I think last season they finished what was it like fourteenth, fifteenth? Yeah, it wasn't anything too high, was it? And now they're they're battling with with the likes of Fulham, who with the amount of investment they've they've put into their squad, you should be expecting them to be up there. Yeah, and I think when Ben Brereton Diaz isn't scoring, it looks like I don't know if he's a new signing. I don't think he is. That is it, Gallagher, who scored the other day uh, in the one nil win. He yeah. seems to be scoring as well. So, I mean, you've got two goal scorers. It's not too bad, is it? They've seen some goal scorers in the past. Son and Shearer, just to name a few. But we'll carry on with the FA Cup fixtures. Bournemouth versus National League side Boreham Wood, who, of course, beat Wimbledon um, in the last round. That's the late game, half six on Sunday. That's going to be a tough game for Boreham Wood, isn't it? But magic of the cup. And we do you remember that classic a couple of years ago between Everton and Bournemouth? where it was like, I don't know if it was in the cup, but it was like four all or something like that. I think that was in the league. In the league, yeah. And we went 3-2 up in like the 92nd and then they equalised in 96 or something. That was mad. I think we beat them in the FA Cup like four or five years back 2-0. So oh, yeah. That was right, yeah. Uh, some other big then, games. And then we got beat by you, but yeah. Oh yeah, in the semi-finals. Do you see? Do you see that that came up on the FA Cup Instagram the other day? I know. Uh, I, I, it's, it's everywhere because Marshall's moving. I, oh yeah, I cool. yeah. And um, some of the uh, bigger games in the fourth round: Manchester United uh, open the FA Cup fixture up against Middlesbrough. Uh, that's eight o'clock on Friday. Kidderminster host. Premier League Harriers. West Ham. That's Kidderminster Harriers of the National League North, by the way, not just the National Sixth League. Division. Yeah, uh, that's half 12. That's a definite watch. Could they do them over like they did Reading? Uh, I'd like to say yes, but I think Reading on the day, obviously they're going through their own FFP stuff as well. Yeah. Had a, is it a nine-point deduction? Yeah, they had that and they had a lot of um, young players out on the pitch as well because the manager yeah. wanted to rest them, didn't they? So I think if if West Ham go for, uh, go at it the right way with enough quality, they'll they'll get it done quite easily. But as you said, magic of the cup. You just hope, don't you? You just I hope. <laughs> you could. Do you remember when Lincoln got to like the quarterfinals or round yeah, of sixteen? They'd be like they'd be like Brighton and all of that. Burnley and stuff like that. yeah. That was that was a crazy run. That Chelsea face Plymouth um, Argyle half twelve on Saturday as well. And then, oh, sorry, my voice then. Um, Fulham make the trip up to Manchester to face City. Uh, that's at three o'clock. That should be an interesting game. Fulham look quite good of late. I know Bobby Deckard over Reed recently scored as well in a 3 2 win. 
Uh, and they won 6-2, didn't they, the other week? And Mitrovic yeah, was scoring goals like, in left, right and centre. He scored like 13 or 14 in the last three matches. Yeah. Which is... That is insane. Not like first versus first, though. Uh, what in a championship and then Premier League? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course it is. So yeah, it, I, the last five games, Fulham, one one nil, one seven nil, one six two, one six two, one three two. Oh yeah, that's the stat where it's like they won. They scored uh, six goals back to back in the first championship team or something. That is insane. That though. All those results. Oh my days! Wow. And Mitrovic, you never know on form. What, what is it? Twenty six goals in twenty seven games. Twenty seven goals in twenty five games. Yeah. Twenty five games. Yeah. Well, we were talking the other day, weren't we? Do you reckon a Premier League club will snatch him up? Or I think you pointed it out actually championship quality and the difference. It's going to be quite hard for him because we've seen what he's done at Newcastle, haven't we? Um, I reckon it'll be quite important for Fulham if they. Well, we're pretty sure they they will end up going up this season. But um, in terms of them getting in another striker. I think they definitely need to, to push, push Mitrovic when he does make that step up into the Premier League because he's not really been a bad striker, but he's never really reached the levels that he has in the Championship that we've seen players like Arvan Tony do this year as well. So I think them getting another striker in could, could really boost him. But in terms of this season, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, he really has. We'll move on to his former club, like I mentioned before, Newcastle. They play Everton in the Premier League on Tuesday. This is the midweek game starting to creep in again. 7.45, Alex, what's your feelings going into the game? It's a tough away game that I'll, it started to get, become a lot more tough. Uh, tough Newcastle away on a night game. That is very tough. Yeah, I just hope we have a manager in by then. I think yeah. that'll offer us more stability and hopefully we can go in with a, with a mindset that we can actually win the game. Um, but in terms of where Newcastle are at the moment, uh, I think they will probably have got some more new signings in and look a bit stronger. So I'll just have to wait till probably the week before. Do you have anything you want to say about the Everton manager role at the moment getting taken? Or because I know that there's that, uh, like we said at the start of the podcast, there's that fan protest going on outside. Is there anything you would like to say on that matter or the managerial um, options? I just at the moment think it's not been been yeah, not very professional at the moment. I think we've just seen um Pereira who hopes he's gonna get the job. He's just been uh, on on Sky Sports for some reason doing an interview. Um but in terms of who I'd like at the moment I'm probably firmly in the in the Lampard boat. I think he's probably the only manager at the moment who could steady us and and hopefully bring in some some good results. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Aston Villa host Leeds. That's on Wednesday, eight o'clock. That'll be an entering and entering game. They that, those two teams always seem to give it a good go. And Steven Gerrard and Bielsa, I'm sure, will be going at it, won't they? Yeah, um, in t- well, at Leeds at the moment, I think they beat West Ham. They're always playing very fast, energetic football. And and if Aston Villa go through it the, the same way, as you said, then it'll be a very, very good game. Thursday games brings two really tough games and good games for both, uh, for all these four sides. Liverpool play Leicester. Wolves face Arsenal. Arsenal, this is a critical game for them, I think, because if they don't win this one, the teams below them, West Ham, Manchester United, 
they almost start to get a look in. And Wolves on recent form are looking very, very good, aren't they? Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the Liverpool game, I think Leicester have a, a very good chance. They they beat them at uh, the King Power. Uh, uh, 1-0, I think, Adam Ola looked. Oh, yeah. And, and um, if they can repeat that, I think Liverpool, they have to show quite a lot of quality to, to get the game wrapped up. But with Mane and, and Salabak hopefully fully fit, I know Mane went off injured yesterday, but if they can get them both back, I, I see Liverpool having enough quality to get it done. Some other big games going on around the world, but just before we go to that, I've just remembered the Brentford Wolves game with the drone. That is madness, isn't it? Yeah, um, I, I don't really know what, what what was going on. I think was there like fifteen minutes of added time. It was yeah, it was a long stretch it, of period I saw of time. It like um, on the seventy second seventy second minute, and it was still in the first half. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was mad. I think, of course, with the drone action, that drone could have, for all we know, been loaded with some type of artillery or guns. So especially for the safety of players, you just need to get them out of sight. And I don't know what's happened with the aftermath. I presume someone's been arrested or... Yeah, I think the Premier League and obviously the, the teams in the Premier League have to be more, more aware of stuff like that going on, especially in the in the world that we currently live in. And then... um. Hopefully they can take more more evasive action next time. Yeah, I don't think it would have been Bielsa either. I don't think he's that noticeable. I know he's been like in the past. Yeah. Some big games like I was going to say before. Celtic versus Rangers, the old firm, 745. That's on Wednesday, the 2nd of Feb. That'll be a big game, of course. Uh, Postelegu going up against Van Bronckhurst. Both new managerial options really that are both going up against each other after Gerard left of course so that'll be an interesting game to watch Rangers lead I believe around 10 8 points now in Scottish Premiership and also the Africa Cup of Nations Alex of course some games are going going on today but the quarterfinals we've got two of them that are set on so far Gambia at Gambia versus Cameroon and Burn Burn Burkina Faso versus Tunisia who beat Nigeria I just wanted to sort of get a whole summary so far off you of what you think the Africa Cup of Nations has been like so far? I mean, it's been action-packed. Uh, yeah. You can't really ask for any more than that. I think there's been a load of red cards, a load of uh, conspiracy theories, as we'd, um, as we'd predicted. And then, um, obviously, the, the quality of football. I don't know uh, if you'd watched any other African nations, but I think um, compared to the the quality of like previous years, I think it's, it's gone way up the amount of investment into it has is, is also gone way up but um, I think they need to, to get the referees a bit more clued up on, on how to referee yeah but, some decisions are quite different did you watch the uh, Comoros game the other day I watched most of it yeah with the, the left back and goal goal yeah I'm trying to get his name at the moment uh, I don't he, think like, I can find number it number three on the back of his shirt with like masking tape or something yeah, it was the name was like um, it began with a H. Let me see if I can find it. Comoros. Yeah, oh, let me see if I can find it. Goalkeeper. Let's see. Um, so if I can get it. Yeah, so <laughs> there was a sixteen over it, wasn't there? Um, but then they put a three over the sixteen, didn't they? I'm pretty sure yeah, they put yeah, the yeah. yeah. 
Um, and then the, then the captain got sent off. And then oh, I saw that, yeah. And it's got a mad free kick. Um, Shaka uh, Aldahura, that was him. Traditionally, a left back, but played in net for Comoros. And he didn't do too badly considering he's facing Abu Bakr, who's the goal scorer of the tournament so far, the highest one. So I think he did pretty well in that. Sense. I think um, the Ivory Coast have just been knocked out by Egypt as Egypt. well. Ooh. I think they're like the Ivory Coast were one of the favourites to win it as well. So certainly on my list, I think they always are as well. Them and Ghana have now gone out. Some big, yeah. big Pepe, teams. Alaire, Kessie, Sangare, Bayi, all of them. Yeah, just quickly before we go, we'll look at um, the current state of uh, the Africa Cup of Nations and who we think is going to win it. Uh, because I don't think we managed to get. Um, some predictions and did we i think we might have done the odd game but not overall really or if we have we've spoken to it um between ourselves and not on the podcast so the remaining teams that are left in the competition mali have just kicked off or mali have just kicked off against uh, equatorial guinea uh, guinea sorry so they've got those teams to bear in mind of course Naby Keita playing for mali quarterfinals Luxet, Gambia, Cameroon, Burkina Faso versus Tunisia, Egypt versus Morocco and Senegal will also play Mali or Equatorial Guinea. Out of those teams, Alex, who's your favourite to win it? I think a lot of people will say Senegal with the amount of quality they have, obviously. But I think for me, I'm probably going to have to go with Morocco. I watched them them last night uh, with Hakimi and... And ZH obviously isn't there, but I think they've got a lot of quality, especially going forward. And uh, I just like the way they play, so I'll probably go with them. Yeah, a big team to watch out for. Imagine if they had Mehdi Banashir as well, who's recently retired. Yeah. <laughs> they would be in much, they would be hard to break down defensively. For me, I was going to go Morocco as well. Um, I just think there's something about them, like you say, they, they play good attacking football, and Senegal are obviously going to be up there. But Tunisia have been another shock to the tournament as well. You can say Bertrand Traore with Burkina Faso as well. There's so many teams that you have to sort of think of and think who's got the best team and who's going to go so far. So for me, I'm going to sort of pick two. I'm going to pick the host nation Cameroon or Morocco, um, mainly to add another different element. So and both not go Morocco. And I think Cameroon are actually quite a good team. I think coming into the tournament, they were pretty underestimated considering what they've been like in other Africa Cup of Nations. And now they have the solid sort of players like Akam- Toko Ekambe, Abu Bakr, and I'm sure you'll be able to name more as well. They have those big name players that they've probably not had so much in the past in one team. And I think that sort of played into the sort of fans being there as well in the home country. Yeah, I think um, as well, like all of the, the players you mentioned are really coming to their prime at, at the same point. And it's just really come nicely onto them hosting the African Cup of Nations as well. So, yeah, as well, I'd probably give them a good go. So that's a wrap for this podcast. It's been a long one. Uh, thanks for joining me, Alex. Where should they follow us on the social medias? Uh, Spotify. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Twitter. Twitter. YouTube, subscribe, yeah. Also follow uh, the Blues NSNO for the latest Everton news because there's a lot of news going on there at the moment with the managerial um, options like we've discussed before. That's Alex's account, the Blues NSNO. Make sure to give it a follow. Also, I think, what was the other thing? 
make sure to keep out uh, idea for YouTube. That Watford video is definitely going on. I can guarantee all you listeners that. I also think I've managed last video, I put up a Q&A or a voting panel to say who would um, be the next good manager. Uh, I think, I can't remember the uh, actual question now, but I set it up at the time. And it was basically a question just to get more engagement from you guys who listen. So this week it's going to be, is Roy Hodgson the right man to take over Watford? And I'm going to let you able to put an answer in there and yes and no. So yeah, as much interaction would be great if you could. And I think it's also um, a, us to get a better way of get interacting with you guys and thinking your views as well. So yeah, that's it from us this week. Hopefully we'll see you next week. We'll see if not in two weeks time, definitely. So yeah, that's bye from me. And me. See you in the next one. <laughs>